Yes, I'd like to welcome you to the next Crosscut Maker podcast. And as you know, if you have been listening for the past, well, almost a year now, this year, I've been doing primarily eschatology. And even more so over the past couple months, my podcasts have been pretty much all current updates slash eschatological, how they tie into eschatology. And I've been doing a lot of other ministry with, uh, you know, Crosscut Maker. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, Pinterest. I'm on uh, Facebook. And actually Tumblr too, but I have barely done anything with Tumblr. But um, So um, a lot of stuff there. A lot of resources there that I put there. And then uh, Crosscut Makers. I'm sorry. Crosscut Commentaries. .simplesite.com is my main website where I have almost all my material. I've got gospel tracks on there, um, lessons, essays, pretty much what I've done over the past five years. I've posted there. And I what I'll do a lot of times is with, on social media, I'll interact on Reddit. I'm on Reddit too, and that's where I do most of my interaction. And I'll be able to post those links to things um, to uh, try and help people. So my passions are that I, you know, my my two primary passions are to put a proper, accurate biblical gospel in front of in front of as many people as I can. That's goal number one: is to evangelize the lost and with a with a very with a brief but biblical gospel tract or gospel link or gospel presentation, and to te- to- teach topical theology. Those are kind of my passions and um you know just summary form topical theology not real in-depth but kind of enough to get you thinking enough to take that idea test it with scripture obviously and then if you need if you'd like more in-depth study there's plenty of other resources like you know for example trinity christology uh election i, I discuss those things in a very topical some you know summary way try and get an uh, understanding of those things those are my passions and I still do a lot of those things uh, on the uh, social media and the website but with the podcast for whatever reason I've decided I'm just going to do what I do here and that is to do the eschatology uh, kind of current event updates to see what is going on uh, in the news and as if you have been listening to me you know that I have uh, always hesitated to doing what I call prophetic tracking uh, because it is a very dangerous thing that you can become very, very distracted by the world when you start to analyze everything going on in the world and try and tie that into eschatology. But about a year ago, I really began to see legitimate biblical indicators, what I call them, big ones, like uh, Israel wanting their temple, Turkey, Iran, Russia forming this coalition aggressive nature towards Israel obviously the advancement in technology and other things and then of course with this year it really has accelerated in my mind with the uh, the coronavirus and the protests and all just the incredible things going on that's not even to mention the incredible weather the hurricanes and the wildfires and the earthquakes and the things going on just this week we had a 7.5 earthquake near sand point alaska and it did create a tsunami warning but uh, as far as i know it didn't do any uh didn't do any damage there but those are increasing those are all signs that jesus christ himself talks about and uh 
And so over the past year, I began to talk about it. But as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I've gotten consumed by it at times. And I've pulled back and I try and balance my life, uh, my spiritual life, with not getting too wrapped up in it. Because especially with the political things going on and the elections coming up in a couple weeks, it's real easy to get consumed with that. And then you end up not doing anything in the scriptures. And, you know, your prayer is limited and it just becomes all worldly real fast. So I have purposely limited what I do uh, with what I'm, you know, the subject that we're talking about now is that's just analyzing, just uh, seeing what's going on. And there's a couple news sources I, I check periodically and try and limit that. And then I just see if uh, there's anything worth mentioning as it pertains to approaching the end of the age. And I'm fully convinced, fully convinced that we are approaching the end of the age. And, and uh, I believe we're experiencing biblical global birth pangs with the coronavirus and with the other things going on. And I don't think these, and then if they are, and I don't know for sure, but if they are, then they won't be turning around. It's the first thing I say to people is everything won't go back to normal if this is the birth pangs that begin the process towards the tribulation period. And then the, the next thing I talk about with anybody who wants to discuss end times is that the, the seven year, the, the time period that, that is that precedes the return of Jesus Christ is a seven year time period called the tribulation period, biblically. And that begins with a peace agreement involving Israel. And so, and that's another thing that has really accelerated this year. So not only the coronavirus, protests, riots, weather events, earthquakes, but you have incredible Middle East peace agreements and continuing talks going on. And, and as I've studied uh, and learned a little bit more about the Daniel 9:27 covenant that the Antichrist makes with Israel, I do believe it is something that he it doesn't he doesn't originate it. He adjusts and confirms it to seven years. He makes it stronger. He makes it better. He makes it more agreeable to everybody. He kind of seals the deal. Probably, in my opinion, the last link that will come along will be the Palestinians because there's not going to be any Middle East peace over there. Not what Israel would create a condition where they feel secure without the Palestinians coming along and being part of that. And so I think the process of the Abraham Accords that has been going along, and it's, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, is um, I believe the process that the Antichrist and the Antichrist will adjust and confirm to the seven-year peace agreement. I don't see again if we're approaching the end of the age that it, it would have to be. Um, and you just see, again, it's the same thing. It's not coming back that, that you know, I've talked about on previous podcasts is that the Palestinians no longer have a, uh, a veto power in the peace agreement talks. That's one of the big changes that has opened the door. It started with, the, you know, of course, Trump coming out with his deal of the century framework. And then, uh, and then Israel decided they were going to annex they were going to uh, uh, exercise their sovereignty over some areas in Judea and Samaria. And that created an environment. That accelerated things. And then, of course, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, UAE, and Bahrain have already made normalization agreements with Israel. And we have others coming. So that was kind of the dominoes that fell. Trump's deal of the century kind of fell flat at first. And then Israel wanting to uh, really they were going to exercise sovereignty 
and almost certainly they were. And that kind of forced these Arab nations to kind of get involved and also the threat of Iran. I think a lot of these Arab nations, they've said, and is that they, they see Israel as way less of a threat to them than Iran is. Iran's the biggest threat in the Middle East, and so I think they see that if they don't start getting involved here, that Iran's going to, to not just destabilize the Middle East, but just, you know, just cause complete chaos there. So, but anyway, so these, these Abraham Accords have been going along, and the uh, Palestinians now no longer have, they can't just unilaterally stop every peace process that begins. And this is going forward. And they know it now. And that's one of the first notes that I would uh, mention this week. You know, I do these probably, been doing on doing them on average every other week. Um, but I, I just kind of wait until there's enough things that have happened that I think are worth mentioning. And the first thing I noted was that uh, the president of the Palestinians, uh, I don't know his first name right off the bat, uh, Abbas, Mahmoud Abbas, secretly had a meeting with um, some Israel some Jewish people who they're not involved in the direct political process, but there was just an encouragement there to get involved in the, in the peace process. More pressure to the Palestinians. And then that's what's been going on with these other Arab nations. They've been kind of going back into rhetoric. And, um, and Arab nations who never, ever would have taken a stand against the Palestinians in regard to peace are now saying, hey, they're recognizing that, that the Palestinians want, uh, they don't really want peace. And they haven't, and and uh, so there, a lot of pressure is being applied to them. And so it's just the continuing story. And of course, last on the last podcast, we talked about how Abbas has called for the United Nations to have a uh, summit in 2021, a Mideast peace summit, and bring in all the major players. And so you see, the pressure is working now. They're starting to realize that they have to be involved in this, or they're going to be completely left behind. Um, and so that's just another interesting thing that I thought happened was uh, that was about a week or two ago or about 10 days ago where he had a secret meeting with I can't remember exactly who it was it was some it was somebody or uh, associated with uh, Israel it wasn't obviously any of the political leadership but it was just more encouragement there to get involved in the peace process and then the next thing had to happen that I thought was worth mentioning was, of course, um, the uh, if you if you read any of my websites or on eschatology or you know what we're doing here, which that you can find that all at eoa-indicators.simplesite.com. That's eoa end of age dash indicators plural.simplesite.com you can read that's kind of where I update everything uh, with what we're talking about here and uh, you can see uh, I think section number point number four or five there is it talks about the the push for a one world religion an ecumenical movement that's been going on for decades but it's really accelerated over the past ever since Pope Francis has become the Pope it's really accelerated. This guy is a universalist. He is not a Catholic. It's funny. The, the joke always is, is if you're trying to make a point uh, that where the answer is assumed to be yes, you, sometimes you'd say, well, is the Pope Catholic? And, and the answer, that would be a way of saying that what you're saying is yes. But now, uh, that was, I've been just thinking to myself the other day that 
you can't use that anymore because the Pope isn't even Catholic anymore. He's a universalist. He is a he basically believes everybody's going to go to heaven. He believes atheists are going to go to heaven. He believes Muslims are brothers and sisters. He, there's nobody he will exclude at this point anymore. And so that's been going on. And of course, the Roman Catholic Church has been trying to apologize for, or not apologize, but trying, you know, they're trying to explain his views, which are clearly not only anti-biblical. I mean, he's no pope has ever been biblical. But because they have another gospel, which we might we might talk about here in a little bit. Because um, when I do these updates, I try and add some something that's non-eschatology along, and I thought about maybe doing a little bit of a brief summary of why Roman Catholicism is not Christian, uh, in case there's somebody out there listening who either is Roman Catholic or knows somebody who's Roman Catholic or is confused to believe that that's just another denomination, and they are not. Uh, the Pope is not the head of the Church. Jesus Christ is the head of the Church. And so, but anyway, not to chase that right now, we'll address that here in a little bit. But he has been, you know, calling for this world unity, and it accelerated with the coronavirus. Coronavirus has accelerated global governance, a push for that, and it has also accelerated a push by, led by Pope Francis for a one world religion, everybody to come together. Everybody just, that's the solution to everything. And of course, biblically, we don't, spiritually, a true, a born-again Christian would not uh, we are called to not join spiritually with false religions, but to separate and evangelize. We don't. We don't. Uh, we're not belligerent towards them. We love them selflessly. But but true biblical love is is truthful love. And the truth of the matter is, obviously, Islam is not Christian. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, um, or uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, or. Mormonism or any other cult is not uh, Christian because they have either or all another God, another Christ, and another gospel. And when it comes to the Roman Catholic Church, they have another gospel. They have another way to be saved that is so far from the Bible, it's not even it's not even close. We'll address that here in a minute. But Pope Francis has been doing more and more. And this week, he held, on October 20th, he held an inter, another interreligious ceremony and prayer service with leaders from other major religions, calling for praying for an end to the coronavirus. And just another major push showing his true colors that he doesn't believe in biblical Christianity. He believes in some kind of universal religion uh, where everybody is going to be united together. And again, that just, all that does is is show where that's going and there will be a one world religion in the tribulation period until the antichrist himself destroys that and demands everybody to worship him at the midpoint but that first three and a half years there will be a one world religion so this process will succeed and again this is just another clear indication that we are approaching the tribulation period and that's what I say, you know, the, the rapture of the church, the coming of Christ in that sense, is imminent and signless and non-datable. Nobody can date this. Anybody ever calls for a date of the rapture or a date of the return of Christ, you don't have to listen to anything else they have to say. Because the scripture is very clear that no one knows the date or the hour. But, scripture also indicates that we can see the season coming. And the verse I always use, you know, just off the top of my head is... Uh, or Hebrews 11.25 where it talks about don't neglect this gathering together and all the more as you see the day coming so that's another it's a verse showing you that we can see the day coming 
we don't know the date but you can see the season and my and my uh, question would be well how could you see the day coming and the answer is what you can see you cannot see the day of the rapture that's imminent he, it could happen five seconds from now i couldn't even finish the podcast or it could happen five centuries from now if i'm wrong about this and we keep going forward nobody knows the day is my point but um what you can see and this is what we're doing here is you can see the stage being set for what happens after the rapture and after the rapture is the tribulation period and again we were talking about the peace process with israel going on we're talking about the one world religion push we're talking about the global governance push we're talking about the talk about the third temple all these things are legitimate and happening and increasing and they're not coming back and then the, not to mention all the other signs that jesus talked about in Matt, in luke 21 matthew 24 mark 15 i think or 13 where he talks about his Olivet Discourse. He mentions all those things that are happening, that are increasing now. And so you can see what will happen after the dateless, the non-predict, you cannot predict the date of the rapture, but you can see the stage being set for what would happen after. And that's what we're looking at now. And one of those is there will be a one world religion. People will, every Christian, or almost every Christian, you know, what God may... Uh, I, I would guess God would he is saved and preparing people to serve in the tribulation period but for the most part I believe that that if the rapture is pre-tribulational and I do believe it is then there will be and that will be a, in my opinion the final global birth pain that will kind of throw everything into anarchy which will kind of bring along and create the final uh, nail in the coffin for this oh yeah we got to have one where we got to have a global government. We have one world religion. All these things will that'll, that'll just accelerate it. It'll be the final straw that pushes it to that to that place. Because there will be very few, if any, true Christians behind to stop any of that. There's blowback against the Pope. What he's doing. That's not. The, I didn't even mention that he said uh, he endorsed civil unions this week. That was the kind of the big news, which. Not, not surprising if you listen to what he's been saying over the past six, seven years. This shouldn't shock anybody. Nothing should shock anybody for what this Pope says. Because he, like I said, he's not Catholic, he's not Christian. He's, uh, he's in my opinion, very likely demon-possessed the way he, the way he, the, his views on things. But, not to chase that for right now. But the, but the point is, is the, the only the thing I'm pointing to is that he is the, certainly the architect that is pushing for this one world religion now whether he's the false prophet or not which a lot of people have you know the two characters I guess that's the right word in the tribulation period will be the Antichrist obviously would be the political global leader and the Pope will be or I shouldn't say that um, the, the false prophet will be the uh, he will be the one world religious leader through the half until the midpoint and then he will point everybody to the antichrist and like i said nobody knows i don't i re, i don't like to name names because I, we don't know but what i say on my website if you go there or if you hear a lot of people talking pope francis fits that i mean he fits that uh, description really really i don't see how it could be anybody else if we're close if we're very close but that doesn't mean that he is. He may just be setting the stage. Something he 
he's not the one who actually ends up closing the deal with the one world religion. Maybe somebody else steps up. So we don't know for sure. But again, he I always this is what I say on my website. He's he, I'm not saying he's the false prophet, but I'm saying that he's building his resume at the least. He uh, certainly fits that bill. So that was something else that happened, which again it's not surprising for him. He's put he's been pushing this for a long time, but it just keeps going on and on, and it's not going to come back. All right, and uh, finally, well, yeah, finally, it's Sudan. Um, they're in negotiations right now with. I heard yesterday or the day before that they are very close to normalizing an agreement with Israel. Is what I've heard. Now, that would be kind of surprising to me if they did that when it fits into the uh, pieces of the puzzle towards uh, the end of the age, because they are actually. You know, I've been thinking that Saudi Arabia is the one who... Well, that'll be the big one. And I still think they probably will. And the reason I think they probably will is because they are one of the two countries listed who oppose the Ezekiel chapter 38-39 invasion that happens, I think, um, towards the end of the tribulation period. Or, I'm sorry, towards the end of the first half of the tribulation period, is what I should say. Um... And so I would expect them to come along because they are specifically listed. That region is listed as those who, they don't stop it, they don't fight it, but they, they don't participate and they challenge it or question it. But Sudan is, an, is a country that is actually, they're in the uh, coalition that invades Israel. And so I would be surprised if they did. And if they did, of course, then they probably would just, uh, that doesn't mean that they won't turn away from that. Again, um, I've really, really uh, studied the timing of that and tried to really uh, blow my head open trying to figure out. This is very difficult to time that out. But I've come to the conclusion that I believe, I mean, I can't be, nobody can be dogmatic about that. It's, it's that difficult to uh, understand, is that the invasion actually occurs at the end of the first half of the tribulation period. Israel is unwalled, they're at peace, and so in my opinion, they've already made the peace agreement with the Antichrist, and they feel very comfortable that they are being protected. And so that'll open the door for this alliance to invade, and uh, like I said, Sudan will be one of the ones that invade. At least as far as I understand, the, the territories that line up with the current nations now, of course, the big three that we talk about are Russia, Iran, and Turkey, and those are all Especially Iran and Turkey. They're very, very aggressive towards Israel now. Iran has been for years now. But Turkey, they're talking, they're talking, their leaders talking openly about invading Jerusalem. He's got a lot of people worried. He's got, he's got problems with Greece. He's got problems with all kinds of countries. He's sticking his nose in everywhere Erdogan is. Um, and so, uh, but he's also talked about recreating the Ottoman Empire which includes Israel and he believes that he wants to take over he wants to free that mosque the Al-Ask mosque in Jerusalem and he's talked openly about just taking Jerusalem because it belongs to them that's mind-boggling talk from a major political leader who's actually still currently Turkey is still currently in the in the North American Treaty or North North in NATO exactly what it stands for but they're in that with uh, many other countries and so but I they are ruffling a lot of feathers and they probably I doubt they'll be in there too much longer but those are the big three Russia Turkey and Iran will be in there will be other nations with them Libya 
Ethiopia and Sudan would be part of that as well. So I, I again, I, whenever they started talking about talks with Sudan, I thought, well, that probably will fall through. But it seems now, according to what's going on this week, that it's almost a done deal. And that it could be announced very, very soon, including this coming week. But that doesn't mean that they won't they won't live, they will back out of it and invade. Again, that's at the in my opinion, at the end of the first half of the tribulation period. So that'd be quite a ways. That'd be at least three and a half years plus whatever would precede the tribulation period where that would actually occur. So and they're they're as far as I can remember, their political leadership is very, very shaky in Sudan so so maybe it's just something that'll happen that they'll back out of or something will collapse within their country and, but eventually according to the way I understand it they will be somebody who invades Israel so those are the three things that I want to talk about I you know I got this couple questions in my mind I'm not going to deal with today I might deal with it next time or I might just do a separate podcast on it where there's a lot of people who talk about people who talk about prophecy and they mention um, they believe the next prophecies that'll happen that'll be fulfilled that will be Isaiah uh, 17 1 and Psalm 83 those are two events that um, a lot of people think are unfulfilled I disagree with that and I kind of dug into those a little bit and I and I created some notes on that that I wanted to talk about and I thought about talking about it today but I just don't really think I will I think I'll hold this off. I'll just say in summary that it's, it has to do with the destruction. Isaiah 17 1 has to do with the destruction of Damascus and Psalm 83 has to do with another invasion of Israel with it's a different different countries than the Ezekiel 38-39 and it's more right around Israel right next to Israel is what the, what the theory is. And I, I personally reject both of them I don't. I believe they were, those were historically fulfilled, and that there's nothing futurely prophetic about those. And so I'm not looking for that. And I, I'll go into a little bit more as to why uh, when I have a little bit more time to do that. So I just want to briefly mention that. Like I said, I had prepared some things for that because um, if you if you are following prophecy, and a lot of people will talk about Isaiah 17:1 and Psalm 83 as to being future pre-tribulational occurrences and uh, I don't believe that but I'll explain why on another podcast when I have a little bit more time so I do believe the next event to happen will be the rapture of the church and that will be a global in my opinion it'll be uh, a loud trumpet or the voice of an archangel it'll be a worldwide global sound and it'll be an incredible event of course that's that's what we are, as Christians, looking to. It's the day when Christ raptures his church. And that's the day we're looking for. And that's what we live for. That's where our hope is. And, um, and also, I always, I'm trying to mention now a little bit more, is, is that while eschatology, and it, I believe it is a healthy thing, especially, you know, we're commanded in, in places to, uh, uh, as we mentioned earlier, to be able to notice the season that would be approaching the end of the age and a couple, uh, so I do believe it's, I wouldn't call it a command but I think it's it's obviously uh, I've heard that 20 or a large 25% uh, of Christian or scripture is prophetic and there obviously are a lot of unfulfilled prophecies that are coming towards the end of the age but we just need to remember a couple things 
is that it's ultimately about the return of Christ. And i got to remind myself that frequently, is to not get over-wrapped up in the details. I mean, the essays are important, those are written, and those are in Scripture, and so he, God wants us to know those things. But ultimately, it's about the return of Christ to set up his kingdom. And also, eschatology, almost every, if not all, eschatological teaching in scripture is emphasized with a further command to live holy in, in light of that. And so it's not just, hey, here's some events, here's some here's some speculations you can think about and try and predict how that's going to work itself out. It's not the primary purpose of, of, of prophecy. The primary purpose is, of course, to point our hearts to the Lord as we're looking for his kingdom. So we, we, he's given us mercifully descriptions towards the end of the age how that occurs and so we can set our minds and our hopes and our hearts on those things but also we are commanded to live holy to live humbly to live righteously in light of these things and they you know a lot of people in my humble opinion who do prophecy do all prophecy and they don't really make that connection to hey you know what we are to live for the lord in light of these things and to evangelize in light of these things and so I think it's something we need to balance out. And I mentioned that on previous podcasts. did a whole podcast on what is to be our response to eschatological teaching. And uh, again, hope is, you know, just, man, we could be the generation that lives it out. I mean, the whole, I mean, ever since God created it from day one, the whole world, the whole, everything created was to culminate in the return of Jesus Christ and to set up his kingdom and we actually very likely in my opinion are living towards the very days that that, is, that, um, that occurs and every generation since uh, since Christ ascended has probably all thought man wouldn't it be great to be the generation that uh, sees his return and we very very likely could be in my opinion so that's what we set our hearts towards and so we've got to balance these things. Again, I have no problems talking about what I, have to, what I talk about. And, and, and a lot of it is a warning to people who might listen to this and think not be Christians. And they, 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 uh, they see the rapture occur and then they might have a seed planted from one of these podcasts where they're like, oh yeah, this, I heard this is going to happen and here's what's going to happen next. And maybe, God, again, God would have to create faith in that person in order, order for them to believe. They won't believe just by saying, oh, yeah, I heard that and it happened. That's not how saving faith occurs. Saving faith occurs in the heart, and God has to do it. And I understand that. I'm a Calvinist. I understand that God has to do the saving faith. Yet, he, he uses proclamation of the gospel, which I do at the end of all these podcasts. And um, he uses uh, all kinds of things to create faith in people. And so it's just another way in my opinion to plant a seed believing we're close to say all right these things are or why are why do i believe we're close pointing to the things that would happen in the tribulation period scripturally and saying you can see the stage getting set in reality lining that lining up lining things up for what would happen in the tribulation period all right and i also wanted to talk about like i said i'm going to try and do just what i see in the current events and the news that would uh, that would in my opinion point to be involved in the furthering of the stage setting for the tribulation period but I also want to do some 
either theology or some other teaching at the end of it. And since we mentioned Pope Francis, and um, I thought, and, we, and I mentioned earlier, that uh, Catholicism is not Christianity. Now, again, I, I say that um, as somebody who, when I first got converted, I didn't know that. I thought, actually, I thought Mormonism. Uh, anywhere I saw a cross in the name Jesus, I thought was Christian until I uh, learned a little bit more and uh, began to realize, oh yeah, uh, especially obviously Mormonism was the first one to realize they were they were so far unbiblical that you know they believe in they're uh, they, they don't even believe in one God they believe in millions of gods and I was like well well that's not biblical that's disqualifying and then of course I have uh, Christian or uh, I have Catholic uh, customers I do lawn care I have Catholic family members. I have a lot of Catholic friends, and a lot of these Catholic friends treat me very well. And so, um, I, and I've talked to them personally, almost every one of them, about this because I care. And that's what this is about: is I care. And so, I don't know. Maybe you're a Roman Catholic, or maybe you know a Roman Catholic, and, or maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you are Christian, and you're not quite sure why I would be saying Catholicism is not Christian. And that's kind of what I wanted to address. And I've had a, a link that I send people to, and I actually do a gospel or a tract that I print out and, 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 and pass out to Catholics. And uh, the, the primary issue, now there's all kinds of issues when it comes to Roman Catholicism, you know. And we talked about one today, the Pope. He claims to be the head of the church. And he's not the head of the church. Scripturally, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And so that's just one very clear, unbiblical teaching. Um, and of course, they what they teach about Mary, you know, that she's co-redemptrix. She was a perpetual virgin. That she lived without sin, and all kinds of other unbiblical teachings about Mary that are not true. And then you have um, uh, the priesthood. Again, scripturally, scripture teaches that every true born again believer is a priest, and we no longer have a priesthood like. Uh, the Old Covenant, when we had, when the nation of Israel had priests, we don't have a priesthood now, and so the Roman Catholic priesthood is a illegitimate priesthood, and on and on. And so there's all kinds of problems, unbiblical problems with Roman Catholicism. But in my opinion, I always try and, and set it to the. I think the 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 root of all of the. I think it, in my opinion, it's the fruit of the root of the problem with Roman Catholicism, is they have another gospel they have a false gospel and that's clear as day they have a they have a way to be saved that is different than scripture now again that's what the reformation was all about and uh, but i you know i'm not talking about going back to the 1600s i'm talking about going back to scripture scripture clearly teaches clearly teaches that a person is saved by faith in christ alone and not in, in saving faith is a penitent humble faith that puts their entire trust in who he is and what he's accomplished that's what the gospel of the Bible is. And so the, the, it's the opposite of that is, is self-righteousness. The opposite of saving faith is self-righteousness. And Roman Catholicism clearly teaches, clearly teaches, that you have to add your own works to the grace of Christ to obtain salvation. In one place it's stated over and over, but one is Canon 9 of the Council of Trent. And the Bible teaches that if you rely on works where you're standing before God, then those works have to be perfect or they will end in judgment. And so this is what a lot of people don't understand is that when 
is that if you rely upon your works at all, whether you're talking about I'm a Roman Catholic and uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also got to do my part too. Or if you're somebody who just is a moralist and you're like, I'm just trying to stay on the good side of the ledger. Biblically speaking, you can do that if you want. But that, but what you would have to do is you'd have to live without sin. Thought, word, or deed. Not one. That's the scriptural teaching. That surprises a lot of people. They don't understand. They don't know that scripture teaches that one sin will damn you. In a couple of places you can find that is Galatians 3.10, where it says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For as it is written, Cursed be everyone who, do not, who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law, and to do them. And so it shows you that you're under a curse if, if you're relying on works of the law, and it explains why. Because cursed is everyone who does not abide. That's a continual obedience, that word abide, in all things. So it's perfect obedience to the whole law of God your whole life. Perfect. Or you're under a curse. And I hope I wouldn't have to tell you that you have not done that. And James 2.10 is in it. There's other places. But the James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all of it. You become a transgressor. So biblically speaking, if you're relying upon what you do, you have to be perfect. Hence, Christ and salvation being through Christ. He did obey perfectly. And that's what happens on, at saving faith. When somebody gets saved, they are imputed or covered by the perfect righteousness of Christ. Because his righteousness is the only one that will stand up. And so Rome teaches, the op they don't teach that. They condemn that. They condemn what I just taught. They condemn faith alone. That, that you have that trusting in Christ and his work alone is not only not the way to be saved, but if you do try and get saved that way, scripturally is the way that's, that is, is you will be condemned. You're anathematized by the Roman Catholic Church. So right there is the core, whole core of the issue with the Roman Catholic Church is they have a way to be have a false gospel. And in Scripture, in Scripture, um, Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says to the Galatians, But if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and it's repeated again, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. And so what you have there is you have the Roman Catholic Church and its doctrines and canons condemning the gospel of the Bible. And in return, the gospel, and so they have a different gospel than the Bible, and they would condemn the gospel of the Bible. They wouldn't say that, but that's what they're doing when they say that if you believe that your trust in Christ alone and who he is and what he's done is your standing before God, you're anathematized by the Roman Catholic Church. And the Bible, in return, would condemn the Catholic Church. By what I just read. It's another gospel. It's another way to be saved than Scripture. And again, it comes down to this. It, it comes down to this. Not to oversimplify it, but it comes down to this. Perfect righteousness is what's required. Period. You're going to either be judged according to what you've done or what, what Christ did. That's it. Those are the two options you'll have. You won't have a blend. Because Roman Catholicism tries to, oh yeah, you got to have faith. But you got to do this, 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 and this, and this. This, and you can't either there the Bible teaches that grace which is mercy and works which is merit are exclusive ways of salvation Romans 11 6 Galatians 5 4 
Romans 11:6 says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. You see, if you if you put works into grace, it's no longer grace. Mercy and merit are they're they're contrary, they're exclusive. And then Galatians 5, 4 says, You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So if you're seeking to be justified by the law, you see how it's opposed to grace. And a lot of people say, oh, look, you can fall away from grace. Well, that's not what that's teaching. Not genuine, truly, somebody who truly has been born again. Yeah, I mean, the... In, in order, what I find interesting, in order to be, in order to fall away from grace, somebody might say, well, hey, yeah, you, you got to obey Christ once you get converted or else, you know, you fall away from, from, uh, from grace. And so, you, you know, people say, yeah, you're saved by faith, but then you got to kind of obey and just stay in. Well, what it says here in Galatians 5, 4 is that the, the way you fall from grace is to try and keep it. And so it's the opposite. If you all of a sudden are, you know, if you're like, all right, I'm saved by Christ and alone, faith alone, trusting in Him alone, and all of a sudden you change in your mind, you're like, oh, now I'm seeking to be justified by the law. You have, you never had grace really, but you've fallen from that state of grace in a in a sense there. So, so great. It just shows you then though that obedience to the law for salvation and grace for salvation are two opposing ideas you can't have both of them and so true biblical saving grace is 100% mercy either you choose all of grace by trusting totally in the finished work of Christ or you will get none of it you rely totally on the mercy of God or you receive no mercy and so again that's what repentant penitent faith saving faith is humble broken faith over their own sin they somebody who's been born again the last thing they want is to stand before God based upon their best two minutes after they've been... I mean, again, somebody who's been a Christian for... Um, what am I coming up on here now? Almost... Did the math in my head. Almost like 14 years plus... 14 plus years now. Take my best 30 seconds of, of... And I try. I mean, I really am trying to obey. But I know that if you take the best 30 seconds of my converted life and, and if I put that before God and said here I want to be justified by this it would fail I know it would because there, there's I've got sin even just even in the good things that I try and do is tainted with sin and that's the same thing here that's why you, you cannot you cannot have the idea that all right I'm gonna I'm gonna start by grace or I'm gonna be water baptized as a baby and then I'm gonna you know as long as I cooperate and don't create, you know, I can commit venial sins and I won't lose the, the justification part of it. But then, ah, oh, I created, I did a mortal sin and I got to go do all these other things. None of that's in scripture anyway. None of that is. So that's the idea of it. But even just the concept of that, once you sin once, you, this is over for you if you're trying to stand on your own at all. Even one half of one percent. So I hope you get the point here. Why? And that's not just Roman Catholicism, any religion that would say that you need to be justified by what you do. Anybody, and that's a liberal church too, would say, yeah, be a good person. Do a little bit more good than bad. That's not Christianity. One sin, and you're done. So there's the emphasis. Now, the only text in the entire Bible that Rome would twist that they would that, to try and prove salvation is also of works is James 2.24. 
you ever talk to a Roman Catholic, that's where they're going to go. And I've talked to many, and I've engaged with many on social media. And you got to look at the context, which is clearly written about people who say they have faith but have no works. And so you got to go back to James 2.14 to set the context for James 2.24. James is addressing people who say they have faith but they have no fruit. They have no works to verify the faith. And the question is, does that faith save? And the answer is no. So while I certainly this whole discussion has been about... You're, you don't want to tr- you don't want to rely any of your works for whatever you want to call it for your salvation. But when somebody is truly born again, there will be works, there will be fruit every time. And so, but the works don't produce salvation; they verify it. And so that's what James is teaching: is that if a person says they have faith, but they have absolutely no life, no changed life at all. They just continue right on like they were. But they're like, yeah, I, I said the sinner's prayer. Yeah, I got baptized. Or yeah, I did this religious thing. But there's there's no heart change at all. That person does not have saving faith. And so it goes on to discuss in James 2. It goes on to say in James 2.24... And this is where they'll isolate it and pull out of the context and say, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so you're like, whoa. That's what it says. Again, you see the context of it. James 2.14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says, says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? So we're not talking about a a discussion here on how to be saved. We're talking about a, 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 a false profession is what James is dealing with. There's all kinds of people then, and there's all kinds of people now who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But then they have absolutely, like I said, they have no works to verify that. They they have no love for Christ. They have no humility. You can see that they're just, basically, they live like somebody who's lost, continuously. That's difficult, because every Christian struggles with sin, as we talked about. So there's no perfect, uh, there's no perfect moment for a Christian afterwards, but the affections change. And there genuinely is change in the heart. So what you used to love, the sins that you used to love, if you get converted by faith alone, you'll you'll begin to hate those. And so again, humble, saving faith is penitent, humble faith. And you hate the sin now. When you have a new heart, when you've been regenerated, you hate the sin that you used to love. And so there's a struggle there. There's no perfection, but there is a, a, a change in direction always, always. There's nobody who gets converted, born again, and dwelled by the Spirit of God, who stays the same. And that deals with another issue of lordship, salvation, which I'm not going to address right now because I'm trying to stick with Roman Catholic, Roman Catholicism here. But that's what James 2 is talking about. It's not saying, well, here's how you get saved. You 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 believe and you, you do works. The, the, the question and the issue is a false profession of faith. And so, and this is what I talk about with people who, you know, you have somebody who says they're a Christian and they don't have the works to verify that. Like, you know, you just observe their life, their language, everything else. And you're like, this this is not somebody who's converted or they're backslidden very badly. And the chances are, again, somebody who's born again, even backslidden, you str- you don't, you're not boastful about your sin. You're not boastful about your sin. You're, you're, you're ashamed of your sin and you fight against your sin. Even in a backslidden state, you're not going to be like you were before you were saved. 
Um, and so, but if you're talking to somebody who does claim to have saving faith, oh, I'm a Christian, but then you can just tell by the way they live, talk, and everything else, um, that they don't have the works to verify it, or any changed life to verify it. You don't call them to do works to be saying, like, all right, now I see you believe, but you got to add these works here in order to verify your saving faith. No, what I would call them to do is to truly believe. I, I'm, that's showing me they don't truly believe. They have, they don't truly trust. They're not. They don't truly believe that Jesus Christ is God and trusting in His work for their salvation. So I'd call them to believe, not to add works to their faith. So that's a whole lordship issue there. The scripture is clear, clear on a couple things. You know, dealing with lordship, Roman Catholicism, and everything else, is that you are a, a man is saved by faith alone, trust in the perfect work of Christ alone. That's clear as day. But there's not just James two, but there's many places that teach in in uh, the, one of the epistles of John where it says, if you say I know him, I know God, but do not do what he says, you're a liar. And so that's another instance of where and there's many. They say that if you say you are, are have been converted and been forgiven and you're right with God, but you don't obey His commands, you don't love the brethren, anything, other, a whole lot of other things, then that means your your profession is false. You're either deceived, or you either think you are a Christian and you're not, or you're a deceiver. You know you're not a Christian. You know you don't believe, but you're saying it for some other reason. But Scripture teaches you're saved by faith alone, but that faith will always not. Not 99.999% of the time, and this is where the anti-lordship people err, in my opinion. They'll say, well, it's possible for a Christian, for a true Christian, not to have any fruit. And I say, that's not scriptural. That's not even, and they, they try and defend, I've been engaged with people, where they will try and defend these scriptures that are so clear. And one of them is James 2.24, you know, or James 2.14, where it says, if someone says he has faith that has no works, does that faith save him? Not saying add works to faith, but he's saying, does that faith save him? That is not saving faith. Saving faith will always produce works, but the works come after the first good work from the heart that a person ever does. Again, we're talking about from the heart. Is after they've been permanently declared righteous before God, been forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future, and permanently been declared righteous before God. Not one good work will ever happen until after that has occurred. And then once that has occurred, they are permanently saved. But then the good works and the fruit begin from a heart that loves God because they've received a new heart now. They've been reborn again. But up until that point, even the good things that an unbeliever does externally is done with a wrong motive. They don't. They reject, they hate, they, in fact, hate God, hate the true God. If you're an unbeliever, or at least you're, uh, you're indifferent to him, you don't care, you reject him, you're doing things for your own glory. And so all those motives of the heart produce what are called bad good works. They're, they're good externally. Somebody might look at it and say, hey, he's being generous, he's giving money, he's, he's doing this, doing that. But they're doing it for not for the glory of the God who, who has created them and sustains them and has given them, them, given them all their gifts. But they actually do it with a, with, a, uh, with a hostile disposition towards the true God. So anyway, I don't want to chase a rabbit there. But the, but the teaching is you're saved by faith alone. But that faith will always produce works afterwards that that I wouldn't want to say verify. I don't like the whole final justification thing because that makes it... Because you're justified. You're declared righteous at the very point of faith. The moment you realize, all right, I'm in trouble before God, and you believe on Christ and you trust in Him, that very instant, 
you will be forgiven for you'll be uh, forgiven for all of your sins all your past present and future sins will be forgiven Jesus Christ will have been treated as if he committed them all while on the cross and you'll be covered by his perfect life permanently that issue's done but then you will begin to like I said have some good works from the heart loving Christ as you go forward always imperfect because we're in unredeemed flesh but you will genuinely seek to honor him and you'll be you'll you'll have a, an attitude of humility instead of pride you'll have a, you'll struggle against sin instead of being absolutely unconcerned with it or even boastful about it all right so i hope see if i have anything else to add there but so going back to so that's what they would say is they 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 have one verse in the entire scripture and then you have you have to pluck it out take it out of the context isolated and that's how every false teacher or a false teaching happens is you take you isolate a, a scripture and you pull it out of context and you make it say what you want it to say but when you have when you deal with scripture you have to deal with scripture in light of all of scripture and this one isn't even close this is the only this is the only text that is difficult you know when it comes to an issue of does water is water baptism necessary for salvation i believe the scripture teaches absolutely not that's a work it's a physical work anyway so kind of what we're dealing with here it's a ceremonial physical work so it would kind of apply to what we're talking about here but i will say humbly that that's a little bit more difficult biblically the scripture is our authority and i can at least see how somebody could make the argument a little more again i don't believe it i believe you can but there are a couple tough multiple tough texts that you have to deal with and understand the difference between water baptism spirit baptism things like that but when it comes to being saved by works like the roman catholic church would teach they've got one that they can go to and again if you just look at the chapter read the whole thing you can understand if you have a humble objective mind that that is not the scripture is not teaching that you are saved by faith and works but it's teaching that a a person who again it's addressing somebody who already says they're a christian and yet they have no works that's the issue that's being addressed there and it's not just addressed there it's addressed many other places so again essentially roman catholicism not only has another gospel but condemns the biblical gospel in return as we read earlier in galatians 1 8 9 the bible condemns theirs so i pray that the end of my thing i wrote here is i pray you look at your heart and know that before a holy god you need complete mercy total mercy if you choose to be judged according to your works in any fashion before him they say all right lord i'll take 99.99999 percent of christ and then 0.00001 of me you will go to hell because that 0.00001 of you is tainted with sin that's the bottom line so again you see the point i'm trying to make here and this is a gospel issue this is a, a you know, not just addressing Roman Catholicism, but just any other false gospel will always include something you do. Biblical Christianity, true saving, true salvation before the true God of the Bible is what Christ has done. And if you just think about it rationally, if you're going to include Scripture in your religion, if, if there's, and this Scripture says this actually, I don't know, it's in Galatians somewhere. But if, if if God were to have you be declared righteous by what you do, why in the world would he send his son into the world to live to be uh, and to take 
the punishment, the physical punishment, and then more importantly, to put him on a cross and have him endure the wrath of God while hanging on a cross. And, 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 and why would he even do that if you could be saved by your own works? And again, I, it's slipping my mind, but one scripture in the book of Galatians says, if, uh, and I'm summarizing here in my mind, is if, if salvation can be obtained by the law, then Christ died in vain. I think it's at the end of, uh, end of Galatians. And that's the idea. Why? There's no, there's no reason for Christ. There's no reason for the Son of God to come down, to live without sin, to endure what he endured, if you could, if you could get right with God on your own. There's no blending that. You see the, the contrast there? It's like he did what he did, and that's the only way. And if you think that God, the God the Father allowed to happen to his son, what happened to his son, and I'm not even talking, the physical part of it is bad enough. I mean, we don't even know the physical nature of the, of the brutality that he took before he went to the cross. But the true, this is what I tell people, you're not saved if you're a Christian by what the Romans did to Jesus Christ. You're saved by what God the Father did to Jesus Christ. He treated him as if he committed all of the sins of those who had or would believe in him. Where, like I said, one of those sins would send a person to hell for eternity. And so if you think he did all that so you could create a religion where you get to participate and have pride in your heart about being right with God, you're you're wrong. That's all I can tell you. That's, that's not true, and that you will eternally regret that if that's where you end up landing. All right, well, that's what I got here. I want to, It's been a while since I've talked about Roman Catholicism. I used to be a little bit more involved in that ministry, but for various reasons I've kind of... Uh, uh, been doing other things, but I, I thought that'd be a, an appropriate tie-in since we were talking about the Pope earlier. So I hope that you have been benefited by this, and like I said, I do like to close out with the gospel, and probably don't need to since we talked just a whole lot about it, but uh, I do like to give the pre presentation I have here for anybody listening who might not be saved or not sure if they're saved. Um, I like to present the gospel. And one day we will all face the one true and living holy God. And you need to have your sins forgiven and be reconciled to him before that occurs. And in God's great love, he has mercifully made a way. And that only happens biblically by repentance, and that is confessing your sinfulness and hopelessness from your heart to God. And as we talked about earlier, saving faith is humble faith. It is penitent faith. It is repentant faith. That means you're broken over your sin. You know you're hopeless. You're done. You can't stand before God. And faith, and that is believing the gospel. That is who Jesus Christ is, truly man and truly God, and trusting only in his redemptive work. Perfect life, death on a cross, for the sins of sinners, and resurrection for your salvation. So you put your entire hope in who he is and what he's done, as we've been talking about. And if you genuinely do this, you will be instantly and permanently covered by the righteousness of Christ. And he will have been treated as if he committed all of your past, present, and future sins. And if you refuse the offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be judged according to your works. And uh, like we've been talking about, unless you live without even one sin like Christ, will end in eternal conscious condemnation. So I hope that has been helpful. If you tune in for an eschatological update only, I hope you got a bonus that will will uh, you know educate you and help you to understand the difference between Roman Catholicism and biblical Christianity. You can just observe what they do if you're born again, how they act and what they talk about and the doctrines they teach 
again, not even talking about the core of the gospel, and you, you should be able to recognize, okay, there's big problems there, what's going on with what they're teaching, if you love Scripture, and if you, and if you hold the Scripture alone, because they do not. Again, that's just another uh, fruit of the root, in my opinion, that they have a false gospel. And when you have a false gospel in a religion, then no matter what it is, it will lead to iniquity. Because guess what? Pride, spiritual pride, which is every other religion, every other religion, every other form of Christianity, so-called, or just an outright false religion that would deny Christ, it, it breeds spiritual pride. I'm right with God because I did this or I do this. And guess what that does? That leads to more and more iniquity. And so that train doesn't stop. False religion creates pride, which creates more sin. And that's why you should never be surprised. You know, if you think, and this is what's one of the shameful things, is that, you know, when something, and every, I'm not saying that there's not Protestant denominations that have had scandals. And that's true. Um, but, you know, when it comes to a lot of people who go to the priesthood and the, and the child molesting that has been going on and all those things, and they, they associate that with Christianity, or prosperity gospel people who almost always end in shame eventually and they'll associate that with Christianity but that's no that's prosperity gospel not Christian either and so but the point I'm trying to make is that spiritual pride will lead to more sin pride in general leads to more sin and you can be truly born again and I've lived this and you become prideful in your heart then that'll lead you to more sin and then that's why I tell people that a big big portion of the Christian life and battle you learn this the easy way or you learn it the hard way and a lot of times it's the hard way is that it's humility it's just recognizing that humility is the only way forward and, and the reason you should be humble is, or the reason humility is called for is because you should be humble we all should be humble nobody should have any pride in their hearts because we're all sinners and we all should be condemned so people who have genuinely been saved and are genuinely right with God the last thing that should ever create is pride in our hearts. But it does sometimes, sadly. We all struggle with sin. So I hope this has been helpful. And like I said, I'm going to try and probably whenever, if ever, if things, whenever things happen, I will try and do an update when it comes to uh, eschatological things and try and add a little bit more doctrine than I have been to be helpful. But uh, God bless you, and this went a little bit longer than I thought, but I pray it's been beneficial to you, and may Christ be known.